Fualcha, 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 Akharja Gale. Welcome to episode 84 of the Rebel Matters podcast. This week's guest on the show is Virginia O'Gara, who most people will know from being one of the founders and being heavily involved in My Goodness, which is a vegan food company that have a very well-known stall in the English market in Cork and are also supplying food to various shops around Cork and Dublin and can be frequently found at festivals around Ireland whenever festivals are allowed to be happening. This is a chat that I was looking forward to having for ages even before I got to know Virginia and Donald and the rest of the My Goodness crew because I was aware of some of the great work that they were doing and I've been getting their food in the English market and in the farmer's market in Cork for ages as well. We ended up having a really open and really, really pleasant conversation in the back room of Ackley, which is the personal training facility that I set up in 2013 in Cork City Centre, which was kind of cool because we had quite a lot of notes to compare in terms of how we're kind of running our respective businesses in Cork City Centre. And I think one thing that we have got in common is, and despite them being quite different businesses were both running small local businesses that have something kind of substantial behind them and it's not just about the bottom line and the profit and there's a big focus on doing something positive for the communities that we're based in. Virginia chats about her involvement in Food Not Bombs, how she got involved in the sustainable food movement how she came to Ireland, the setting up of my goodness and also the Cork Urban Soil Project which is a really aspirational and revolutionary project so it was great to hear a bit more about that there and I have to say like this was one of my favourite episodes to record because well I suppose the same as a lot of the episodes that are kind of casual conversation format uh, they're really nice to be a part of and this is definitely up there with with um, one of my favourites so I hope you really enjoy it as well before we get stuck into the chat, I just want to say a massive thank you to everybody who sent messages of support and solidarity after the last episode that went out two weeks ago, Garakad Milamayag of Akarja. And also a big shout out to everyone who has been supporting the show on Patreon, especially the new people who have just recently become patrons. Myself and Vicky have been organising the sending out of the Rebel Matters stickers and the Cracker New Enamel badges that we just got made especially. We did have a bit of a backlog there of stuff that needed to get sent out but I think that we have everything sent out now but if by chance you've been expecting a badge or some stickers and haven't received them yet by the time this episode com- goes out just give us a wee message on the Patreon page and we'll get on it straight away just in case anything got lost in the post or anything out there. And for anybody who would like to start supporting the show, then you can find out how you can do that by going to patreon.com forward slash rebel matters. But there's three tiers of support, Salyak, Dar and Funchug, named after three beautiful native Irish trees. And you can see the different benefits that you'll get by um, signing up to one of those tiers. And by doing so, you're helping to keep the Rebel Matters podcast on the road. And you're helping us to keep on planning the future episodes and most importantly planning what kind of trouble that myself and Vicky are going to get ourselves into. So if you want to contribute to the Troublemaking Fund, go to patreon.com forward slash rebel matters. I think that's it. Let's let's get stuck into this lovely wee chat with Virginia O'Gara and episode 84 of the Rebel Matters podcast.
What is my goodness come about? Oh, my goodness. My goodness was an accident, really. Um, I never wanted to work in the food industry because I saw back in America how people were just worked to the bone in that industry. And food was always something different to me. Food and my relationship with food was always um, more, of a, more of a matter of social justice. I started working with food um, with this group called Food Not Bombs in Dallas, Texas, back when I was 14 years old in the mid-90s. And the Food Not Bombs just celebrated their 40th anniversary as a grassroots organization. And what we would do is food that was considered unsalable, food that was maybe not um, beautiful or had a bruise or wasn't big enough or was too big, would be thrown away into the dumpsters, and it was perfectly usable food. So Food Not Bombs would use that food and try to draw attention to the amount of waste that was created from the agricultural industry in America, but also at the same time draw attention to the amount of uh, money that was spent on war while completely ignoring those who were most in need in our country. So it's called Food Not Bombs. It was started back in San Fran a while ago by this guy Keith McHenry and a whole other crew of people. And it's a grassroots horizontal organization that allows you to follow a certain pattern, being vegan, um, working to feed the people around you, be they activists, be they people in need. Um, and work together to create food to nourish your community. So the Dallas chapter started in the mid-90s, and um, it was great fun. So, you know, we, it was a nice way to, to meet people, it was a nice way to serve your community, and it was a great way to skill up on making food. So right around 1995, um, the UN was celebrating their 50th anniversary of being this, this organization, this human rights organization, and they decided to have their celebration in a... UN Plaza in San Francisco. So in preparation for that, with all of the international media coming, uh, Mayor Frank Jordan decided to clear the streets of all the people who were there. So Food Not Bombs would serve food there to these people, 200 people twice a day, seven days a week. These people in need would gather at UN Plaza and eat. But that looked really bad for international media, so they tried to create new laws to get these people out of there. Um, they were arresting people for serving food and charging them with felony conspiracy for serving food. So we thought that was shit. And uh, the Dallas chapter decided to organize and team up with a couple of bands who are going on tour out to San Francisco and help serve food to people and help resist these uh, ridiculous laws that were criminalizing poverty. Um, so yeah, so I had just turned 17 and I had just graduated from high school and uh, I hooked up with a couple of punk rock bands and about 10 people from the Dallas chapter of Food Not Bombs, and we all headed out via the Southwest to San Francisco on tour. And by the time we got there, I think we racked up our first felonies day two, maybe. We arrived into San Francisco Pride, and that was great fun. We met up with Homes Not Jails and other Food Not Bombs chapters there, and I'd say there was upwards of, geez, 5,000 people gathered from other Food Not Bombs chapters around America to help serve food. So, um, the, yeah, the San Francisco Police Department didn't know what to expect. So there's 5,000 people from Food Not Bombs all, all congregated on, on San Francisco mm-hmm. for, to coincide with this like, yes. UN event? Yeah, to keep serving. And it was, it was incredible. So it was, that's what food was. So they're, I mean, fair play to them for being able to organize such an incredible event. Um, so food was gathered from various food co-ops, from dumpsters, donated from other sources, and we'd make food twice a day in various houses to feed not only the people who are already there, 200 plus twice a day in need in UN Plaza, but also all of the volunteers that are coming around. So what's fun about Food Not Bombs is that you never know what you're going to be making. You could have you know a couple of crates of cantaloupes and like a couple of crates of aubergines, and you got to figure out how to feed 200 people. But it forces you to work with what you have. And yeah, so we did and, and we pulled it off. And yeah, lots of people were arrested. And um, it, was, it was an incredible time. So that's how my relationship with food started. It was always as a tool for social justice. And um, I still work with Food Not Bombs. Um, even when I first came to Ireland in 2006, there were a couple of chapters. There's one up in Dublin. Um, Actually, yeah, that's that's how I met some of the punks in Dublin. I was picked up because of our Food Not Bombs connections. 
um, Willie Natalia and uh, Kieran. Is that who manages Lincoln? Kian. Kian. Yeah. Was the first person who picked us up in 2004. Kian Otis. Yeah, and had made a big old uh, Food Not Bombs pot. No way. It's That's funny. Back in their warehouse. Actually, mentioned Kian because Kian actually really helped us to get connected with the company that gave us the equipment like we bought it from them but they gave us a really heavy discount for the gym in Palestine Wow! and it was because Lankham were playing here on St. Patrick's Day a couple of years ago Yeah, yeah. and we all went out together afterwards and yeah. I invited them to come and see the gym the next day and no it turns way. out Kane worked for this company Strength Shop and he was like you should get connected with Strength Shop they'll we well into this Palestine project so I went cool. over to Berlin and met them and then they hooked us up amazing big, big time yeah that's great I know um, so is there food not bombs? Is it still going in Ireland? I don't know if any chapters happening in Ireland right now, but um, sure, I'm sure one can start whenever the need is there. Yeah. So then how did you go from that to end up in Ireland? <laughs> so that was when I was 17 years old. Um, yeah, I guess back then I was pretty, I was really into punk rock and the reason I and anarchism and I really liked, um, Create, finding simple solutions to create more sustainable communities. And um, in San Francisco, there was a lot of that going on. There was this born of fire gathering happening where we started traveling around um, after the Food Not Bombs gathering and, and going to various places around North America to meet up with other groups in resistance. And basically this group of people would travel to another place that had an activity or had a particular uh, protest that they needed extra hands for. So we did that for, for a while. I wound up in New York and got involved with various permaculture groups um, and just continued touring around with like punks and anarchists on freight trains and the like um, until I noticed that the punk rock revolution in America was kind of falling short of what I wanted it to be. I was hoping that it was actually a revolutionary um, philosophy of, of changing, like changing community in a radical way. And it was kind of falling short. So... This was around the mid-90s, 1995, 1996, when the Zapatista Revolution kicked off in Chiapas. So I realized that's where I probably needed to be, like as a gun-toting Texan. Like I, I thought as like a young kid, I could definitely serve purpose there. And like, you know, punk rock wasn't doing it anymore. So I wanted to head down there. And I always wanted to go to Mexico anyway. So I didn't speak Spanish or anything. So I wound up going down riding trains down to the border of mexico and then realizing i was totally out of my depth so i got on a bus and started learning spanish along the way and it turns out there was a really great um school in guatemala that teaches spanish in a way that's complete submersion so i wound up going to guatemala and learning spanish from these guerrillas so it was folks who were leaving the civil war this is just as the civil war was ending they um, got jobs teaching spanish and cacatical to people who were english speakers with these people who had been fighting in the Civil War? Had been fighting in the Civil War, yeah. The Civil War was just ending after, what, 36 years of Civil War. So this is, you know, 1996 or so. I was about 19. And I got to, yeah, so the first couple of weeks that I was there, I learned Spanish with this really amazing fella. And he forced me to really analyze what it is that, like, why did I believe in revolution? What is it that I wanted from community? And I knew that I wanted to learn. I'm a city kid. Like, I grew up in Dallas. And I wanted, I love food and I love working with food, but um, I didn't know anything about growing it. I wanted to totally understand the process of growing food. I wanted to develop a trade. So he wound up by chance hooking me up with this tiny little town called San Lucas Tolima. And it's on Lake Atitlan. And he said to me, he was like, they have this kind of um, farming. It's organic, but it's different than organic. And I was like, do you mean permaculture? He was like, yes, this is it. Permacultura, that's it. <laughs> So I wound up by chance in this town, in this volcano crater lake town that had a permaculture project called Proyecto Ijats. And Ijats is the cactical word for seed. And this is around the time that Monsanto and other seed companies were developing the Terminator seed technology where they were starting to modify seed and patent different seeds as their own. So corn was becoming modified and the property of a corporation. Um, luckily, there's this guy, Ronnie Leck, who realized that was a really bad move, um, especially for Mayans and other Native Americans. So he started a seed-saving project with a permaculture farm called Proyecto Ijats. And 
I was lucky enough to be able to work there. So um, I worked in a garbage dump and as a beekeeper and alongside Proyecto Ijats um, for a couple of years. In this village? In this village, in San Lucas Limon, which is where I first met my first real Irish activist, Quiva Butterly, when we were both tiny little babies. Oh, and you know the way you ended up doing that when you went to Mexico? Like, is that what you had intended to end up doing? Like, were you going down there to learn about food? Or <laughs> no, not at all. I was going down <laughs> to fight. I thought that I was a little revolutionary woman. And then I realized quickly that I was going to be more of a hindrance than a help to anyone. Because I'm just a skinny little white girl. So I didn't even speak Spanish yet. So I wound up in this town not intending to stay there. I, I was lucky enough to be able to work on a lot of water projects in Chiapas in the meantime. But um, no, that was not my intention. I was just leaving this, um, I was kind of disappointed in the anarcho-punk community that was developing in America. And I wanted to find out what real revolution was about and real community was about and real sustainability. So just by chance, I had been interested in permaculture and then I wound up in this town where there was an incredible permaculture project. The garden was being built at the lowest point in the town where the tanks used to park and all the ground was really compacted. But Ronilek, the whole purpose of permaculture is, it's a design philosophy where you work with the patterns of nature instead of against it. So the motto is the problem is the solution. So there at the lowest point in this town where all the tanks used to park and compacted the soil in a place where it rains six months out of the year, Roni Leck took that and turned it into this tropical food producing wonderland. And it was his goal, not only to save seed, apart from Monsanto, um, and to create this sustainable closed loop system of a gardening design, but also to reach out to other Mayan farmers around there and show them that uh, not using chemicals and not buying into what corporations are toting as the way of, of future agriculture, um, that's not the way, there's another way. So he was trying to encourage farmers to go back to the old organic ways and to teach new design philosophy within their gardens. Is the closed loop, does that mean that whatever you use just goes back into the system again? Yeah, that's, yeah. that's basically it. So um, the inputs of one system will always have an output. And if you can design something perfectly, that output will then be the, the input for the next system, like a forest. Like there's no waste in a forest. Everything has its purpose. Everything has its cycle. Everything has its use. So was, it, was that kind of like a successful program for that village then? Absolutely, yeah. They're, um, they're still going strong. I mean, this was back in 1995 when they started. I was there in 96 till 98, and it was uh, incredible. I mean, some of these guys, some of, a lot of the farmers there, um, it's incredibly economically impoverished, and you know, mortality rate of children is, is huge. Um, life and death is uh, in your face all the time. And Roni was able to, yeah, create a, pro a project where you could actually start looking for to building more of a future, working with the land that you have. Because some of the, most of my friends were squatting land to grow their food and their coffee, their corn and their coffee. Um, and they're squatting, like, they're growing corn on a mountain. So you have, like, a vertical cornfield. I mean, it's insane. Like, you could break your leg falling off your cornfield. But there, there's always a technique. There's always a way to work with that. So how did, how did, the, how did you build the bridge between, like, working with people in kind of what's an indigenous community, essentially, to kind of try and bring that to the table for people who live in more westernized or modernized societies then? Mm. Well, really, I just learned a lot from being there. You know, um, several generations would live with each other and live in harmony and live in peace. Of course, like, life was always screwed. Like, it, it, was, it was hard. I mean, you were, like, pooping in a tube and wiping your butt with, you know, leaves. <laughs> and, you know, if you're lucky if you even had water to wash with a lot of the time. And electricity wasn't always there, rarely. Um, but man, my friends there just managed to get through it with a smile and, and laugh about it. And I think more, yeah, I learned a lot from just being able to observe that for a couple of years and bringing that back to Western society, I guess, just gave me a different perspective about what success is and what happiness is. Um, I was really lucky that they took me under wing. I think they thought I was special needs because I was like, I had dreadlocks and a lot of patches and didn't really speak well. And you know, um, women shouldn't have been traveling alone. So we, we learned a lot from each other. But yeah, when I, after a couple of years, my sister was getting married and I was turning 21. And um, my brother was in need. So I went back to Texas um, and 
fell right back into that kind of radical punk rock community. And the word was out that I had been gone for a couple of years and that now I speak Spanish and I'd been working with various revolutionaries down south. And immediately um, a couple of bands got in touch saying, hey, we want a tour in Mexico. Do you have some connections? Do you want to come with us? Will you be our interpreter? So it never really ended. You know, After doing a couple of years in Guatemala, in Chiapas, as soon as I got back to Texas, um, we wound up forming communities to finding a way to be able to share our privilege from the West, which is monetary resources to people who needed it down South. Did you ever encounter an attitude that like the stuff that you're learning about farming and food, when you bring that back to say Texas, that that kind of like work or focus is kind of like below modern societies like that they're like oh fuck we don't need to worry about that shit like we just go to the shopping center and buy food yeah oh absolutely i mean especially in texas i mean we're like cattle town i think i always compare texas to cork it's like the cork of america it's all cattle it's all beef it's all like you know being a vegan is like worse than being a communist kind of you know it's it's all very but it, also very welcoming um and I grew up punk, so like you're used to people making fun of you all the time, and you're used to always being defiant, inherently defiant against what's around you. So learning what we did there, yeah, I mean, it could be applied in small situations. And I like that as, uh, as a part of the DIY culture. Like I've always wanted to know how to do everything. And I'm never going to be a big landowner, and I'm never going to farm cattle, but I do want to be able to engage with growing food. And so... What I learned in Guatemala was very much small scale, and um, it was a design that is appropriate for a sustainable community. So yeah, of course people are always going to tell you no, like that's not the way to do it. I mean, even when Roni Leck was down there showing permaculture to other Mayans, fellow Mayans, they were there telling him he was an idiot. I think it's just kind of human nature to challenge each other, and I think that's a good thing to challenge with compassion, you know, to force us all to learn, continue learning and learn better ways to do whatever it is that we're into doing. Yeah. So it must have been like fairly challenging kind of prospect to be able to try to bring back those ideas that you had to try and integrate them into like a, into say we're in Dallas or Yeah. Luckily in Dallas, yes, it is a, a, you know, mega metropolis, but there, there's, there are great um, techniques for urban sustainability too, which I think are arguably even more important in this day and age to start focusing on. But I wound up back in Austin, Texas. Um, it's more of a college town. And I found out there was a permaculture, like drylands uh, sustainability course. So I wound up joining up with that um, and becoming a permaculture designer through learning how to grow food in a desert. So it was very different than the subtropical Guatemalan aspect, but all of the philosophy and the patterns are the same. So it was nice to be able to apply some of what I learned there and that two years of, of skilling up there to desert, desert Texas landscape. You know, with the commercial production of food and everything, like, are we totally fucked? Like, if we <laughs> keep on going that way with... Oh, we're going at the minute. Oh man, I think it's going to be. Yeah, we can't continue as we're continuing now. Yeah, we're totally fucked. Uh, we're completely fucked. We um, are demanding resources from this planet that we just do not have, and the reason is because of capitalism. Like we're we're encouraged to constantly expand and grow more for more people, and the system is totally fucked. We're growing food to be thrown away just to keep capitalism going, to keep the commerce flowing. So yeah, I mean, it's we're that's that system can't last for much longer. Um, and as far as the way that the agricultural industry will progress, I'm not that confident that it's gonna be incredibly positive, but in small communities, it's nice to be able to know that you can grow food almost anywhere. And it's incredibly empowering for me and most other people I encounter to be able to have that experience, to see something go from seed to a plant. And then be able to consume that and then create compost and give back to the seed and be a part of that cycle, be engaged with that cycle. Um, yeah, I think it's growing up in the city, growing up in Dallas, I was totally detached from it. And when I finally, when it finally started to make sense to me, um, yeah, it opened up a lot of new realizations about life and how to live it. It sounds like that's probably something that's very common for people who live in cities is if there is like a food shortage or if someone's becoming exploited because of somewhere along the line of production mm -hmm. to where we end up with the food on the table. Mm -hmm. It's 
the person who buys the food in the shopping centre is going to be probably the last person to feel it. So it's kind of hard to connect the dots. Yeah. That like if you are sitting there with a piece of food, like a, an avocado or something like that, that mm-hmm. tastes pretty nice and you can make breakfast with it, mm-hmm. to try and join the dots to how that avocado came to be sitting on your table in the first place mm-hmm. and who was taken advantage of somewhere along the line is seems to be one of the biggest challenges f- to get people on board with changing the way that we um, like buy and consume food. Yeah, exactly. So it, basically the way that the food, what I've noticed from now being in the food industry is that um, there are all of these techniques towards creating margins. That's what they encourage you to do. And basically that the way it distills is that you create a margin through exploitation. So you're either exploiting the earth by demanding more of it, by pumping it full of chemicals to make more tomatoes to be able to pick. And then you're exploiting the workers who are picking those tomatoes because if you can pay them next to nothing because they're vulnerable um, and can't speak out against it, um, then you can sell that tomato for a little bit cheaper than other tomatoes and you're making a margin all along the way. Money's being saved and it's not being given back to the earth. It's not being given back to those workers. It's not being given to that person who is like buying a, you know, a, a tomato at a cheaper price because they have a job that they work all the time and a bunch of kids and that's all they can afford. It's a really screwed system. So there's always, the more exploitation that exists within the system, the more mar- the bigger your margin. So I d- that's another reason I never wanted to be in the food industry because that's how you make money. You exploit. And then the other side of that is like, it's actually so- something that, my friend E said on a previous episode not so long ago was that like you might think that you're buying like really cheap food but it just it's not cheap it's just you're not paying for it but mm-hmm. somebody else is paying for it mm-hmm. so that you can have it for cheap yeah and that seems like it kind of makes sense but then the other side of it is the thing that you mentioned that if the person who goes into the shopping centre is themselves being exploited and aren't getting paid fairly for the work that they do and that's the food that they can afford to buy to feed themselves and their family then Mm -hmm. it's not so much that you can start blaming the people who are going into the shopping centre Mm -hmm. to buy the food that they need no and I think that that kind of raises another question for me like when it comes to farmers markets and even like the English market like I've been in the English market with people who have grown up in Cork and it was the first time for them to go into the English market because it's just completely separate from the, what they would have experienced or been exposed to or would have been able to afford when they were growing up Yeah. and we're sitting there walking in the English market and it's their first time in it and they're an adult <laughs> and that's where the food is really like yeah. in Cork in, in mm. f- to, to a large extent I mean it's a, a place where you can buy fresh produce and stuff like that there but then a lot mm-hmm. of people haven't got the kind of haven't been exposed to it. The habit or the means, you know, because it's not necessarily the most affordable either. So that's it. You know, we just have, that's it. Cheap food is shit food. And you really do get what you pay for. Um, And that's why I feel so lucky to have grown up with Food Not Bombs because we were able to get really delicious organic food that was was going to be thrown away and work with that. And when you, I mean, you probably know yourself, when you taste a homegrown tomato as opposed to what you buy in Tesco, I mean, it's like, it's a completely different species. It doesn't taste the same at all. So also time is such a great resource that we don't really have a lot of right now. Like growing food is not that easy. It takes a lot of time and a little bit of know-how. So yeah, I think there's a lot that has to be redesigned in society to be able to live in a, in a more healthy fashion. It's funny you mentioned that thing about tomatoes because just as we were coming to the end of the lease for the first premises for Ackley, which was in Douglas, which was in about um, 2016 or something like that, um, two of us started volunteering on the farm in Ballymaloo on Wednesdays. We oh, wow. just drive down on Wednesday morning. Yeah. And I spent most of the time looking after the tomatoes. Cool. But the smell of the tomatoes and the taste of the tomatoes is like, it was as if like I'd never even experienced the tomato before I know because they're so fresh and like looked after properly and everything like that yeah it's mad and once you have that that's what you want and you're going to find any way that you could actually make that happen for you you're going to find any place you can to grow a tomato and I know loads of people who are growing them in their windowsills you can things want to live like that tomato wants to grow it wants to survive so it's up to you to figure it out so you know with my goodness I kind of get the sense just from even from knowing you guys a little bit that it's 
partly got to do with the food that you guys are sort of producing and selling and providing for the people who come to you guys and partly got to do with the message that's behind the business and it'd be interesting to, to kind of talk about that a little bit like is what is the kind of message behind my goodness <laughs> well, good question I guess I should figure that out it's a it's an ever-evolving company for sure but um I guess what we say a lot is you know if we can do it anyone can do it because none of us are experts so it's nice to be able to be a part of a group of people and a business with the intention of never settling for um, the norm and always being able to uh, create something a bit better and more in symbiosis with our politics and with our ethics and uh, to serve our community. So I don't really know what the thought is behind it, but we work a lot. You know, it's, it goes back to like, okay, I, I'm not rich and my friends aren't rich. We believe that good food should be a right and not a privilege. And being able to try to create that equation for the last six years that we've been a business, we've been trying to find a way to balance honoring the farmers who are growing our food and paying them what that food is worth, honoring ourselves for making it and all of the time that we spent creating new things and paving new ways to uh, process food in a healthy way, but also not charge people money that they don't have for that. So... What I like about my goodness is, you know, we're, we're far from being perfect and we're, who knows when, if, if and when we'll ever get to that point that we're happy with, with the way things are running completely. But it's nice to be able to continue. I think it's from growing up punk, and a lot of punks work there and a lot of people who are into the DIY ethic and are into the DIY culture are willing to constantly work with what we have to create good food and food that's never really existed before and provided at a good price. And a lot of that goes back to the permaculture principles um, where we're trying to save energy. We're trying to cycle a food product through the system as many times as possible. So I moved here to study permaculture in 2006. And the problem is the solution. I mentioned before, that's your, that's your motto. That's your design philosophy. So for, as a Texan, I moved here and noticed it rains a whole lot. I'm coming from a place where there's like 40 years of drought. We're always trying to conserve water here. It was abundant, and that's a big reason why I moved here, because fresh water is arguably the most valuable resource that we have on this planet, and Ireland's full of it. And all my friends hate it, <laughs> but I saw great value in that. So we based our business around working with nature rather than against it. So we collect rainwater, we filter it, then we ferment it and make it good for your gut, and then you can drink it. And we try to make it delicious too. So it's 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 a holistic kind of larger spectrum of making things pretty, making things tasty, making things affordable, and not exploiting the land that it's coming from. Have you guys ever had negative feedback or negative backlash for having a business that is like openly kind of like intersecting with politics? Oh, well, I don't think people know what to make of us, quite honestly, you know? It's, um, I'm often shocked that I'm asked to come in and talk at things like Enterprise Week because I'm an anarchist and an anti-capitalist, and their entire system is what is making the food industry into... Uh, it's going to bring the demise of the food industry because it's not sustainable. So I think people are rather confused that we're able to do this. I mean, even when we first went to the English market, we told them we are a bunch of, like raw vegan serving you know like fermented rainwater and half rotten cabbage and it's they funny laughed that you're right in the butcher section as well huh you're right in the butcher section I of know. Well. <laughs> those those guys and we showed up in the butcher section they were like wait a second wait a second if you don't serve any meat in any of your food and we were like not nah. i think they felt sorry for us and that's definitely been something that's helped me through like in guatemala when they thought i was like i think uh mentally unwell <laughs> I showed up there with dreadlocks it's like when you showed up to the English market and there's all these butchers around you they were curious and uh, supportive and now they're our customers now they get it they understand that um, there's always more ways to do things than one yeah. the thing about having a business that's you know, like you're not afraid to pin your colors to the mast and be like say that you're anti-capitalist and uh, set your kind of set your stall out or whatever like that like for us here, there, I think that we get a lot of support and actually for 
not being afraid to speak out about things that we believe in. And but we have got some kind of negative comments from time to time about people being like, why, why, like, why would you have, why are you doing fundraisers for Palestine? Like, it's got nothing got to do with you. Why is getting involved in stuff that you can just get along with your business? And a lot of the time, stuff that we're doing is not for profit. Mm. And I suppose that's kind of a way that we're trying to balance between it's a business, so it's inherently a part of the capitalist system, whether we like it or not, mm-hmm. and doing something that kind of gives, uh, that takes away the barrier to entry to come into this place and that gives something back to either the immediate community or further afield and that helps to like look after the people who work here and stuff that they have a meaningful thing to be engaged with. So mm-hmm. how do you guys balance that? Is mm. like having a business that by default kind of is a part of the capitalist system in a way mm. and sticking to what you believe in? I think we should just quit and start a revolution, actually. But <laughs> because we haven't been able to bring that on yet, unfortunately, you know, we all are wage slaves and you have to be. So whenever somebody asks to work at my goodness, I usually say, you know, like, sorry, you have to. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not fair that, you know, we're forced to earn a wage. But if you have to, you might as well do it in a way that you believe in and in a way where you can learn constantly and be surrounded by people who support you and who help you reach your true potential. So my goodness, at least, you know, if even if we have to be a business working within the capitalist system, at least it's a safe space. You know, no one's ever worried. <laughs> it's kind of a joke that, you know, we don't, we've never fired anyone, but also you're not allowed to quit. <laughs> like so everyone who goes there, you know, we don't have a strict philosophy, but, um, you know, you have to be able to support each other and no one can, no one is above each other. We try to create a horizontal atmosphere where we all feel safe and we all can express what we're doing and, and suggest new ideas to do things better because I, we're all workers and we all kind of have our specialty within it. And there's a few of us all rounders who duck in and out. And there's, I want people to be able to express new ways of doing things and to take that on and to try it out. So yeah, that's, that's it. Um, it's never going to be perfect until we have the revolution, maybe. And I know that everyone's going to need to eat, so I know that our place within it is, is solid. <laughs> Whenever we were from Palestine, actually, one of my friends, Abdallah, who's a tour guide, and who I did a podcast with, the, at the end of the tour that he gave us in Hebron, he gave us a little postcard each, and it was a picture of... It was a, it was a painting that was taken from a picture, and the picture was of a falafel stand and the guys in the falafel stand were wearing gas masks and there was a full-scale attack happening on Hebron by the Israeli army and so people went out to fight against them and the falafel stand opened up and there were like free falafels for anybody who's taking part in the red. Yes, that's it. People are going to have to eat and and it's good to know. I think that it's good to know that there's that support there too to see people who are willing to put their life on the line and then someone's willing to feed you while you do it. And put your life on life. Yeah. There's Everyone has their strength. Do you ever think that you, you frighten people away with talking about revolution and k- killing fascists and um, stuff like that? I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. Well, I hope, I hope more that, you know, if people hear about that, I mean, it's, it's important to talk about it right now, especially right now, always, but especially right now. We're going through great changes. And I, I want people to talk about this. And if I do scare people away or if, if people do, you know, we have lost customers very recently because of um, our politics. And that's fine. I don't want them there. If they're, I, Fascists aren't allowed, first of all. They're not allowed in our business. We will not serve them. Um, if people want to engage in debate, that's fine. I don't really necessarily think it's my job to educate people about sexism and racism and uh, fascism, but I'm, I'm willing to do it because I can. And we've had to do that on our farmer's market stalls. Um, so, yeah, you know. I don't care. Like our, our business is inherently, food is inherently political and our business is inherently political. And if we are given this platform, we have to use that responsibility wisely. And I want to be able to show people there's more than one way to run a business. And just because you have a business doesn't mean that you have to constantly compete with other businesses to be better. Like I am an anarchist and I do believe that it's through cooperation within your community that your species will truly thrive, not through competition. So 
yeah, I want to be open about who we are and what we stand for. We're, we're vegans, you know, we, we try to eliminate exploitation in as many different levels of our company as we can. Um, we are, you know, eco-warriors. We try to create a sustainable product that um, doesn't necessarily, well, we can minimize pollution on the earth anyway. We're going for zero waste this year. Um, so, you know, and if people have issues with that, good, bring it up, but I'll tell you why we do what we do. We're very confident in doing what we do. And, you know, politics, especially anarchists right now and anti-fascist fighters are painted in a really bad light. We develop trust within Cork. We have a lot of trust within the community here in Cork. And we've developed that because we care about people and we want to nurture people and we want to listen to them and what it is that they're having issues with. And if they find that our food helps with certain digestive issues or anxiety problems, that's great. And that's a part of what we do. And they also know, we've always worn our politics on our sleeves, they know that you know we are anti-capitalists, we are anarchists, we are anti-fascists, and we are caring and loving people. And I think it's through anarchism and that anti-fascist sta stance where you, you know, that means you're going to be supporting people who are most in need, the most vulnerable in society. And that's what you do, that's the point of eating, that's the point of creating a business around food, it's to be able to nourish those people especially. We're kind of in a different world than what, you know, the enterprise office would want us to be. And they do, they're curious about our way forward because you'd have to be blind to not realize that the capitalist system is in a dire state and that everything they have been working to build up to support businesses, which is their job, is all about um, exporting. So what the last time I had to give a talk in public right before lockdown was the, they asked me to help launch Enterprise Week at Nano Nagel. And what I was trying to talk about there in front of Musgraves, who were there talking about how great plastic is, it was a talk on sustainability. Musgraves is there talking about how great plastic is and how sustainable it can be. The happy pair were there, you know, talking about the great things that they do and also mostly about margins. It was a very industry-driven talk. But what I wanted to talk about was... Um, what sustainability truly is. And the way that we would have, that they would teach us, if I'm not a business person, but the way that we, they would teach us how to design our business is to constantly expand. As a small country, we're Ireland, we're tiny, right? Um, they believe we're tiny and they believe that we can't support an industry with this nation. So they encourage you to constantly create a product that is sterile to ship out of Ireland. There's so little focus that goes on for Ireland and how to make this a better country and help this country reach its true potential. So I gave a little talk on how to design a business in a sustainable way, which is from the outside in. So you analyze, this is all permaculture, you analyze what your needs are um, as a business and as the people who make up that company. So what do we need to live a comfortable life as a group of people? There's about 15 of us in my goodness, right? How much do we need to earn? What is rent? What do we want to eat? How much free time do we want? You take all of these various resources and characteristics into account and then you design from the outside inward. So you know we have to sell X amount by this time to be able to reach this goal and then you work inwards. So I know we can do that with Ireland. You know, we're a bunch of misfits and punks. So like, it's taking us a really long time to figure out like how to do this, still live our lives, still create a product that we believe in that's zero waste and serve our community well. So we started first with Cork and I think we're, we're, we're getting there, you know? It's never gonna be perfect, but we've, we've saturated a lot of the markets around here and a lot of the shops. And we only work with shops who are willing to take our bottles, our champagne Greg glass bottles on deposit because we, we see all of our products as a circular system too. It's not, society wants you to think in a very linear fashion, like you were saying before, like you buy something, then you're done. You create a product and you sell it. That's not how we see it. We see things in a more circular fashion. So we collect the rainwater, we create the product, we bottle it up, we tell people about it, they buy it, they enjoy it, they consume it, they bring the bottle back to that shop, then we go and pick it up, process it, and start it all over again. So it's from cradle to cradle. That's a closed loop system. That's a circular system anyway. And during that time, we realize when we're trying to create this system, you know, that's, that's not how capitalism works. That's not how you make your margins. It's, it's not a good business plan for making money, that's but right. at least you can sleep at night. And during this time, we realized we weren't, 
we're still creating a lot of food that, you know, we ferment what we can. We create new products like we can. We have a hibiscus now. We make a hibiscus water kefir, but we have to bring in these flowers from like Jamaica, right? And if that flower is going to grow in fucking Jamaica, be dried out, shipped over here, and then fermented once, that's doing a disservice to everyone who took part in growing that flower. So now we're trying to see what this detritus is. Like, how can we make something else from this? So we cycle some, as many things through the system as many times as possible. So we're taking that hibiscus flower and then we're smoking it in a smoker to create kind of like a brisket. So we've created a brisket, and that's what we're using to stuff into our tacos and to use in our Tex-Mex menu, which is like what I learned in Mexico in here. So, you know, it's because we truly believe in what it is we're doing, we're able to continue to expand constantly using the punk rock, anarchist, anti-capitalist ethos and using permaculture principles. So most people who work in my goodness are, have lots of different interests in life. And that's what makes it tolerable, I think. You know, even though we have to work, at least working around rad people who are constantly trying to get better at living. I'm just thinking that if you were giving that talk in an enterprise Ireland kind of <laughs> setting, that there's going to be a fairly big section of the people who are sitting there thinking, she's actually making a really good point, and then having an inward conversation with themselves about like thinking about different ways of doing business, and then there's going to be probably less people sitting there absolutely shitting themselves, just in case everyone else realizes that you're right. <laughs> And <laughs> that all the people that are working for them are going to start looking for a better way of doing things. Well, we can only hope. I mean, it, it, it was very good timing that happened right before lockdown because I honestly think a lot of people were rolling their eyes like, oh, yeah, what is this? You know, it, 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 it's like speaking a different language completely. And it's like, you know, it's not uh, sustainable business 101. It was kind of I was taking them into loftier concepts that go against everything that they have been building towards for years. And so. I would be naive to think that it would actually make a difference. I was kind of just doing that because we had just come out of this festival that was incredibly corporate as well. And it was, I was feeling a little bit dead inside because that's not what we do. So I felt completely out of depth, but as a punk, that's fine. <laughs> we're used to that. And we're used to people telling us we're wrong until they realize we're right. So a lot of that was talking about learning how to value and appreciate more than just the profit. So I was trying to drive home that Ireland is important. And if we learn better ways to grow food and stop just supporting the dairy and the beef industry, because those are the only farmers you ever hear from. And those are the only farmers that get any support because those are the motherfucking farmers who are growing using the resources of Ireland and then shipping all of that beef and dairy out of here. You know, we need more than that. My friends in Cork, the reason we started our second shop in the English market was to support local cork farmers. because there weren't a lot of places in the English market that actually had cork grown produce. So we started a second shop that was going to deal with the glut. So times like this, people have tons of cucumbers, loads of sweet corn and all sorts of things that the market's already saturated with it. And Lidl and Aldi and Tesco are selling it for pennies. So we work with farmers to be able to take whatever they need to give, whatever they need to get rid of and support them in that without putting any extra stress on them. Because my friends who are vegetable farmers are under an incredible amount of stress with broken minds and broken bodies, and they get zero support. As a punk, you don't expect support. You grew up without it, and you almost have disdain for the support that you get from the government. It's the DIY culture. It's knowing that you have to be there for your community, and that's the only real resource that we really have in society. That thing that you said, though, about maybe not expecting it to make a big difference when you're giving a talk to people who are habitually kind of focused on the margins of business at the same time like I think it's really important to bring those things up when the opportunity does arise and also like because of the fact that you give that talk and now you're talking about it now it starts to join dots between people who may be listening to this who are in businesses who have got the opportunity to do things a little bit differently I'm just thinking about the time that I did the episode with Dan Lambert who um, with his sister Grace has the Bank Bank Cafe uh -huh. in Dublin and he basically said the same thing about like it's not always about just expanding 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 like you figure out what it is you want to achieve and then you go for it and once you've set out to do what you're doing and it's like kind of a beautiful thing in itself it doesn't need to, you don't necessarily need to go and make another one yeah. you said like that they wouldn't want to have another Bang Bang and we were just kind of talking comparing notes or whatever between Bang Bang and the kind of stuff that we do here at Ackley and 
you know, I think like from talking to people who have got small businesses or, or who are involved in small businesses, I mean, it doesn't really matter what the actual business is, but there's a lot of comparable things. Like the way that I kind of look at this place is that we try and make it so that it's kind of like a mutually beneficial cycle for everybody who takes part in the process of like the people who come here and the people who work here and where we get our equipment from. And even if the place does start to say become profitable, that we can somehow make that of benefit to people who just aren't directly involved in the business, but who are in the surrounding community or mm -hmm. like further field or people who we might be able to help because of the expertise and the experience that we're after gathering. Mm -hmm. And in a way, it's kind of really similar yeah. in approach to a different way of doing business, but it's a, it's an approach that like really most people kind of figure out by virtue of like f experimenting with it and doing it yourself because it's not the way that you learn about <laughs> business or it's that, the opposite, actually, yeah. the opposite kind of way. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, kind of like really happy that I never did like a business course or anything out there. <laughs> yeah. Because of the fact, I don't think we would have... You never would have started this. ...figured this out in the first place, yeah. the way that we're doing it now, we probably would be doing it a completely different way. Yeah. And like like in the health industry in particular, like Gosh, the vast yeah. majority of the marketing is based on making people feel like shit mm. and then selling them something that, they, that you're kind of creating a false demand for. Yeah. Which is the opposite of what we're trying to do here. Uh-huh. In a way, so... Yeah, you wouldn't be able to sleep at night unless you were doing what you believed in. Yeah, also, like, shit would be shit. It'd be terrible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what about Cusp? What about Cusp? Well, that Cusp was kind of birthed from the idea that we we needed to do more because we were, we were growing food, you know, and we, we our friends are growing food and we're processing what we can and we serve what we can, but still we have compost going out and that's, CUSP is the Cork Urban Soil Project. And what we're trying to do is to rethink waste and see waste as a resource. And this goes back to the permaculture training that, you know, in a perfect system, there is no pollution. There is no waste. That is the input of another system. And there is no work either. It, it all flows very, very carefully. So we really wanted to get a biodigester to be able to create soil from we don't use plastic. We use biofilm and uh, cups and takeaway equipment. It's not a perfect system. It's it's kind of a temporary solution to t uh, taking our business and society away from plastic. So we have, you know, we, we worked about four different farmer's markets. And we have an abundance of forks and spoons and cups and straws. And it's, there's a lot of embodied energy that it takes in making these things. And that could be food. That's, that's energy that could be spent on growing nutrition for people. But instead, it's being made into these cups and forks and spoons. And then at least it's not plastic, we'd say. And at the end of the day, this would be taken away and put into another plastic bag and dumped into a landfill. And we're not the only ones doing this. There, there are hundreds of other companies around Ireland alone doing this. And it just didn't make sense. We were just accepting that this is the way it had to be, but it didn't make sense to us. So... We want to be able to, instead of just sending all of that nutrition, all of that energy to a landfill, be able to reclaim it and use it for cork. So what we're doing is um, a group of us got together, my friend Molly Garvey and my friend Sean, um, got to get Sean Binder, got together and we decided we we're going to <laughs> work with the 50 other food producers in Mountain Point Market go plastic free and then organize our own bins so that all of this would be waste is going into a min bin or a cusp bin where we're going to collect that at the end of the day with James McBaron, our good friend, and bring it back to the biodigester in the My Goodness Kitchen and cycle it through with enough uh, nitrogen and carbon and try, have a year long experiment of working within the community to try to create soil from would be waste. What stage of the year are you at now? We um, had a hiccup over COVID. We have been planning this for about a year and a half, two years now. <clears throat> and we won the Social Enterprise uh, Academy of Ireland Award for Cork, for Munster. And uh, we were working with this community called Harp Renewables, with this company called Harp Renewables. And they were building us a biodigester that they were going to let us have for free to do some analysis on how <clears throat> quickly and what kind of soil we were able to produce. <clears throat> uh, 
And so we've been working with them, and they, you know, there were various problems with the machine, and they couldn't get it to us in time. And parts got held up in Italy, and then COVID, and all this stuff. And then I just don't think it's economically viable for them anymore. So they have been not in touch with us. So instead, we call upon the court community, and CIT have a biodigester that they are not using, and has been sitting outside of the、um, my friend Patricia, who teaches health and safety at CIT. And who developed all of the systems for us? And my goodness, for free because she believes in the the company. She's a woman who wants to like clean everything with apple cider vinegar, but she has to teach all about chemicals. So she believes in what we're doing, and she gave us an amazing amount of tutelage for free. And now she's giving us a biodigester. So right now, where we are on the project,、um, we have the cusp office mapped out right next door to the my goodness kitchen. We got our three phase、uh, electricity put in. We bought all of our bins that things are being put into. These we have like six wheelie bins that were kind of donated at a really good price、um, that we can have a hatch down so everyone of all abilities can use it. We want everyone to be able to participate. And now we have to figure out how to get a flatbed truck with a crane over to CIT, and we have to take apart or not take apart this big ass biodigester and ship it over to our kitchen. That's where we are. Matt and Point are ready and waiting for us. It's just up to us to figure out that last little bit. Sweet. So hopefully by mid October, end of October, we'll be there. <laughs> and I know that this could be a whole other podcast by itself, but could you maybe touch on the importance of soil and maybe link it to like why you're doing this in the first place? Yeah,、um, I will. Well. I guess here in Ireland we're doing all right. You know we have a lot of soil.、Um, I'm coming from Texas, right, where we had 40 years of drought and where agriculture's been a, a huge issue. So I used to work as a landscaper. I ran an all-women's landscaping company for about seven years in Austin, and we were planting plants that didn't need soil and didn't really need water. So, and the reason is because.、Um, Our soils all、um, evaporated. It's been the land has been overly farmed, and we've lost all of our precious soil. So,、um, okay, so here, is that from that's in monocrop kind of farming? Well, it's from yeah, well cows really. That's the monocrop that we have there. So monocrops, like you mentioned before, is when you only plant one kind of thing. When does that ever happen in nature? Never, culture, never. That doesn't happen in nature, culture. <laughs> so. What that does is that it, it makes too much demand on the soil. So not only like here you, you can above ground we see how much life and how much interconnectivity is going on. Well, that and more is going on below us. And when you try to pump that soil full of one type of chemical, nitrogen, that's going to grow grass to for our cows, it's going to create all sorts of problems. Not only are you breaking apart all of the microbiome of our soil. Which is what gives us our microbiome, but also、um, you're you're creating a product from it that is deplete. So if our soil is deplete of what it needs, then it's growing food that's deplete, and then we eat that. And sure enough, of course, we're going to be deplete too, which is what's been going on for the past seventy years, really.、Um, that said, yeah, so we're in a pretty dire state right now with soil. We're losing a lot of it. The soil is going into the streams.、Um, It's poisoning our waters.、Uh, we're, we're fucked, really. That said, it's really easy. Microbes want to grow, and they want to grow quickly. So what we're trying to do is create soil for an urban setting, especially that can create a microbe-rich environment for to thrive and to be able to grow healthy vegetables that we can then eat and feel better from. It's just you know, it's just like the literally the ground、uh, the groundwork for doing all the rest of the work we're all trying to do. That sounds fairly straightforward, actually. It's really straightforward, like that. Yeah. So basically, to create good compost, you need a good balance of carbon and nitrogen. So your carbon is like your crunchy brown stuff, your cardboard, your other bits. Your nitrogen is anything that's kind of like wet and green,、um, your vegetable scrapings, you know, sludge, that kind of stuff. When you put those two things together, they have this beautiful reaction where they break each other down and create this nice, friable soil. So what we're trying to do with Cusp is we have a biodigester that's speeding up that process. It's inoculating it with more microbiome, with more microbes, to be able to. There's these tiny little guys who will eat apart、um, all of the various surface areas of all of those various things, and their byproduct is probiotics. Their byproduct is carbon dioxide and compost. 
Amazing. Yeah. Is this the first time this has been done in Cork, this kind of like project? Uh, oh, yeah. 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 No, this hasn't been done anywhere around Ireland. We've, we've looked around other places um, to see if there are similar projects just because we want tips yeah. on how to make it function well. And um, there's a couple, there's a place in Saint Denis just outside of Paris that kind of has a neat little like bicycle compost scheme going on. In Cal- I lived in California for a while and worked with um, an anarchist collective that collected all of the compost from the University of California and um, also did recycling. And then uh, in Guatemala, we set up a little garbage dump where we were working with recycling things. There was no system within that. So we were collecting the village's uh, compost and garbage, separating out to try to create some kind of a recycling scheme and creating soil. Oh no, that's class, sounds amazing. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And it's the best part is that none of us know what the fuck we're doing really. You know, none of us are experts. (laughs) And so then it goes back to, you know, if we can do it, anyone can do it. And if we're doing it, why the fuck isn't everyone else doing it too? Because this is, it's simple. And it's, we want to be completely transparent that we're going to fuck up. Like we're going to mess this up all over the shop all the time. And that's okay. And that's how you learn. And when you set out in a project, knowing that it's okay to not be perfect and it's okay to mess up constantly. And when you can do that well, when you can learn to be wrong really well, and that's kind of the, the secret of running a great business and being comfortable within your business. That sounds like a really good, great place to maybe finish up on. Um, <laughs> but before we do, how can people get in touch with you guys or go and find us? visit us and find us and stuff? Well, right now we're in a few places. Um, we are in the e Yard in Dublin. That's over in Glasnevin, really close to Bang Bang, my favorite cafe there. Um, we are in the English market. We have a couple of shops there for refilling all your krauts and kefirs and getting local cork vegetables. We're in the Mahan Point Market. That's where Cusp is going to debut. We're in the Douglas Market, and we're in the Colquet Market as well. Um, and I guess we are mygoodnessfood.com online and at mygoodnessfood on Instagram, where usually we're just making fun of each other and doing ridiculous things. So, yeah, that's where you can find us, because we're not at the festivals anymore. Oh, actually, soon. We're in a bunch of shops now, too. We're in Dublin. We're in Lilliput, and we're in the Dublin Food Co-op. And we're in small changes, and we're in noms, and the hop sack. So we work with local independent shops who are willing to tolerate our ethos of always having a deposit on our containers. Amazing. Here, yeah. thanks a million for coming in and doing the podcast. <laughs> thanks. It's nice to chat with you. Thank yeah. you. Do you know the time Donald got cut? Yeah, yeah. So, not too long after that, I brought my mum up a bottle of um, kefir or something like that, one of the big bottles, but I just left it in the house and I was oh, like, fuck. I was like, here's like that bottle, I just left it in the kitchen just so you know it's early, I can drink it, it's really nice. And then, like, I was in like March or something, and then I was like, uh, December, I was like, <sighs> I was like, here, as I'm just checking, like, did you drink that? Did you drink that bottle? She was like, no, it's still sitting there. She's like, I actually don't know how to, I actually don't know how to open it. And I was like, fuck. I was like, do you know what to do? I was like, just go to the kitchen right now and bring it outside to that garden and smash it. Ah, <laughs> okay. totally. Well, luckily the one that broke Donald's neck was this like really thin bottle that was with a screw cap. So that's the one that exploded onto Donald's neck. Yeah, it wasn't one of these ones. It wasn't one of those. But these pack a punch, man. The, the reason I got these is because they're champagne grade glass and they're made in Europe. And uh, it can hold up to eight bars of pressure. But what that means is often, if you just leave the shit out and it's continuing to metabolize and, and ferment, all that CO2 builds up and it will shoot everywhere. But luckily, hopefully she wouldn't get 
shards all over her it's face. It's just sitting outside her back garden now. Oh she, yeah, uh, and <laughs> the next time I go home, I'm going to smash it or something. Uh, uh, do you this think is like, what is I it do. good to open it or just this stand really far away and throw you it in the You get it. This, that's a good question. And I often pondered that too when we saw the other bottle. I put a towel over it, like a couple layers of a towel, and then you slowly, you like burp it. Slowly, slowly, slowly. So you like let out a little bit of air and then close it. Yeah. And then just do it over the course of the day. Yeah. Until you're finally able to like keep the towel over it, open it up, and all the air will come out. Yeah. Be fucking super fermented. Oh, yeah. I mean, it might have even reached this point of like inertia where everything it's... stops fermenting. It had no more food and it just sits there and starts to die off. Yep. Who knows? I'll see. Well, I'll let you know. I, I just had this like. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine? Nightmare, flashback, daydream mom. of my mum like getting flipping uh, some <laughs> uh, like bomb exploding in her kitchen <laughs> about a bottle of fucking kombucha or something like that <laughs> oh my god that'd be 